You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Nationals are a strike away from franchise history and some World Series history. As Hudson tries to close it out, it'll be another 3-2 pitch to Michael Brantley. Hudson sets the kick, and here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books! The celebration is on! The Washington Nationals are the world! What's up, everyone? Uh, you know, it's your boy, Nick. Uh, Amanda is not joining us this week. She has a job and a life, so she is not joining us, but it's me and Ryan holding down the fort once again. Uh, you can follow us at DC Natchak, follow Amanda at 7-7, and follow the show, as always, uh, at Half Street High Heat. And don't forget to follow Chili's because they are the best. Um, but, Ryan, how you doing this week, bud? No, I'm doing great. Um, I have a bye week in my fantasy league. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to put up 100, but I'm still going to get that five-point bonus. And uh, I went to Chili's on Friday, so doing that. Uh, Me too. I was there. No way. I think wow. I saw you. I think I did too. I mean, I can't – I can neither confirm. Were you like the six five, tall, handsome black guy? I was. Oh, man. Nailed it. <laughs> He's single, ladies. Watch out. Oh, man. But, I mean, a big week for us, like, just in our personal lives. But, I mean, even a bigger week in baseball, we finally have some stuff to talk about. Yeah, so all of a sudden, baseball just decides, hey, uh, we can do stuff before. <laughs> We're allowed. Is so, that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> this week in review is absolutely loaded. So instead of me just talking at you guys for about 10 minutes, we're going to break it down into four departments and just do a little bit of a breakdown of each. So you guys can better understand. So we're going to get things started with the non-player moves. Uh, probably the biggest story of the offseason right now that doesn't involve the Astros, which, by the way, I'm going to get to next. Um, the Mets, in principle, sold the team. Um, uh, they yeah. sold it to Bloomberg. 
Um, but Wilpons are going to be majority owners for five more seasons. And after that, Bloomberg cannot remember the guy's first name because there's about 50 Bloombergs, um, is going to become the majority owner. And we're going to slowly start seeing the Wilpons step back. Mets fans everywhere are rejoicing. And I know that is going to be their highest sold season ever because everyone hates the Wilpons who follows the Mets. And maybe the Mets might actually start spending some money. Um, and then next, we got Baseball America, names Mike Rizzo, the 2019 Executive of the Year. Um, two non-named Astros players, they did this anonymously. When they were asked about Mike Fires, one of them said he's a coward, and the other one said he needs to turn back his World Series ring. Well, thanks for confirming to everyone that you guys cheated, because he ratted y'all out. Addison Russell and Blake Trinan lead the names of those non-tendered. And then the last non-player move is MLB makes pitchers have a 15-day IL instead of the 10-day to keep them from manipulating the IL. And that was the non-player moves. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I mean, the biggest thing is definitely the Mets selling. Um, and they're going to spend not because it's going to be new ownership. Like like you said, the Wilpons are still in office, per se, for five more years while that transition uh, goes into effect. So the Wilpons are going to want to spend money themselves because they want something to happen before they leave. They want some credit. Um, we already saw them go all in last year. It did not work um, unless their goal was to win in 86 games, in which case, kudos. Um, but we'll see it again. I, I don't know what necessarily they're going to do. Like their big splash so far is trading for Jake Marisnik, who uh, is one of the many Astros that can't hit without a trash can and, and a baseball <laughs> bat. Um, but I, I just don't see what's going to necessarily happen. They already lost Zach Wheeler. Um, they haven't been linked to any of the big name free agents at all, really. Uh, there's, their starting staff is still great, so maybe that's not a, a priority, but uh, bullpen arms are lessening uh, by the day, and none of the big name bats, they haven't been linked to the Mets either, so I don't know necessarily what they're going to do or what's out there uh, on the trade market for the Mets and the Wilpons to do, but that certainly is something to keep watch of. Um, and the Astros situation is always entertaining to me. It's going to be entertaining to me this entire time. And I, I do like the Astros. Like I, I like a lot of their players, but man, this is just pure entertainment right now. Oh, it's the best story in a long time that's happened to baseball because everything that leaks from the Astros side just makes them look worse and worse. And I cannot get enough of it. As you guys know, because I've brought it up every single week we've done the show this offseason. But we move on to the player signings, and these are coming hot and heavy. We start with the Mets. They signed Brad Brock. Um, Zach Wheeler signed a whopping six-year, $118 million contract with the Phillies. Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg are the biggest winners of that contract. Sam Dyson is is under investigation for domestic violence and animal abuse. Forgot to bring this one up, but that is a massive story that we will have to follow. Uh, the Rangers signed Jordan Lyles and Kyle Gibson as they start to start getting their pitchers. Um, they're still interested in the bigger names. Jake Dykeman signs a two-year deal with the A's. That's 7.25 AAV. 
what was the biggest signing of the time. Mike Moustakis signs a four-year, $64 million deal with the Reds. They're starting to slowly get their squad together. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Marlins trade for Jonathan VR and they claim Jesus Aguilar. It looks like Derek Jeter is finally um, over being embarrassed and starting to realize, hey, uh, this is how you properly do a rebuild. I got to get some good veterans in here. He's doing well. The biggest shock to me, Drew Simran, sorry, Drew <laughs> Pomeran signs a $34 million, I put five exclamation points after that, contract with the Padres. He got big time paid off of 30 innings of relief work. The Padres and Brewers had a big trade. Um, they sent Trent Grisham, who is a Nationals legend, Zach Davies <laughs> for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer. And then the Padres also traded for Yurks and Profar, but they were not done there yet. My favorite trade of the year so far, Padres and Rays. Uh, Hunter Renfro and Tommy Pham, they were traded. And as you guys heard, there's also another piece involved. As the Rays ace Blake, Blake Snell said on Twitch that they traded for a slap dick prospect. And no, he did not mean slap hitter prospect like old man John Heyman said on Twitter. The Twins signed Alex Avila. Excuse me. Cole Hamill signs a one-year $18 million deal with the Braves, and they're about capped out money-wise. Cubs signed Dan Winkler. Twins signed Michael Pineda. Angels traded for Dylan Bundy. And those were all the player transactions that have happened since last Sunday. Yeah, Whew. a lot of moves. Uh, I mean, I think Moustakis was the biggest name, at least certainly free agent market. Um, but it also sounds like the uh, Garrett Cole sweepstakes are heating up. So that'll really get the dominoes falling. Oh, yeah, um, I, I, because... I, got, I got a lot on that in my next little bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, the one I basically team is just the Padres. Um, it, it's interesting because there certainly is an opportunity. Like if you look at, I mean, the Nats won the wild card at 93 games. The Brewers are the second team at 90 games, I believe. Um, and then the Central is won at 91 games. So I don't think the Dodgers are done anytime soon, but there certainly is an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs if you're the Padres because um, a lot of NL teams are on the decline or uh, undergoing a full-on rebuild. Um, and the Reds are kind of having the same approach. It's just the, you see the Padres kind of going all in. Um, Tommy Pham's good. Uh, I don't think that necessarily moves the needle uh, too, too much, but they are making a lot of um, kind of mid-tier moves that can have that impact uh, you would want. Like, if you look at the Nats in the postseason run, yeah, like Corbin played a big part, but it was kind of the mid-tier moves that you saw where it was Daniel Hudson, it was Anibal Sanchez, it was, I mean, Howie Kendrick was already on the team, but uh, that was a mid-tier move when it happened too. Mm -hmm. um, so the Padres are kind of taking the, the same approach, and I, Kudos to them. I love it when a team tries. Like as much as we fun, make fun of the the Mets, it's much more entertaining and interesting when a team's like trying to win and then failing, rather than just pulling a Marlins and just like accepting failure. So it, it's always entertaining. So kudos to them. I don't know if you mentioned it, but uh, the Rangers are kind of doing the same thing. Um, they signed Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles to fill mm -hmm. out the rotation, um, and, and that's kind of the same approach. It, it's like they have a 
a full on one through five of like B grade starters and that that could do them pretty well. Um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the Astros and the A's could win 80 games. They could win a hundred games. So you just don't know. Um, so I, I like finally some of these teams that have had down years for several years now, actually trying and, and like doing something in the off season. So it's really fun to see. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love it because the secondary market is moving. Like, all these last couple of years, the secondary market has been frozen because everyone's just waiting on the big names to kind of get things going. But now we're seeing people are like, you know what, we're going to go out and get our fallback options in case we don't get these top agents, and it's making this offseason a lot better. And as Scott Boris said, this offseason is fast and furious, while the other ones were, like, paint drying. So with that, we move into the first of many updates this offseason on the two biggest players that Nationals fans all care about. That is Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. We'll also talk about a little Garrett Cole right here as well. Um, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reports that Anthony Rendon is not keen on signing a deal with the Furls and that every single contract that the Nationals have made to him has been deferral heavy. He also reports that Rendon wants to sign a short-term deal with high AAV and notes the possibility of Anthony Rendon retiring early. Um, so everyone who said that the furls don't matter, Rendon doesn't care about money, they're about to be slapped with reality very hard. And also the fact that uh, one of these sides is going to have to budge if Nats win a reunion. And spoiler alert, it's not going to have to be the top position player free agent on the market who's going <laughs> to have to budge. Um, Rendon also met with the Rangers and the Dodgers and is going to met, meet with the Phillies this week. There is a sense amongst M, uh, MLB execs that the Rangers are the heavy favorite and he could sign before the new year. Steven Strasburg, we move on to him. He was spotted in L.A. hanging out with his boy Kawhi and he met with the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Yankees left the deal feeling that he wants to return back to D.C., and he's also going to meet with the Phillies. Um, the Nationals continue to remain more confident that they're going to re-sign Strasburg than Rendon. Now we talk about Cole. Yankees have focused all of their attention on Garrett Cole and have stopped talking to other free agents. There's a report that's saying that the Yankees are prepared to make a seven-year, $245 million contract to Garrett Cole. That shatters the record for any free agent pitcher money-wise, as well as is the record for AAV. Reports are that that camp is now going to the Angels and the Dodgers to see if they can get a 9- or 10-year deal at $35 million. We are seeing more than Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado. And if you're talking AAV, less, a little less than $600,000 AAV-wise, that Mike Trout got for someone who only plays every five days. This is unreal. We now move to the Nationals moves. Coda Glover announced his retirement. I did not see it because he blocked me on Twitter. I saw people <laughs> talking about it. Um, the Nats avoid arbitration with Hunter Strickland for 1.6 mil. Um, Nationals signed Howie Kendrick to a one-year $6.25 million deal with an option for 2021. We'll have more on that later. Um, the Nationals fixed the bullpen needs, signing lifelong 
minor leaguer Kyle Finnegan to a major league contract. He's been in the minor leagues for seven years. Never seen MLB before. He gets a big-time deal. Um, Mike Rizzo said Nationals don't plan on meeting with Rendon or Strauss. They're going to negotiate through Boris. Um, it's actually not a bad strategy considering the fact that Dor- Boris dictates his free agents. Still, Nats fans did not like that because it saves them being too patient. And then the biggest news of the week from Lerner, we will get into this later because I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Mark Lerner, or Tad, can't remember which one, said on NBC Mark. Sports Washington that the Nationals cannot afford both Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon. We'll talk about that one later, and that is the entire week in review, which was a rare, loaded MLB. Loaded, but I, I like it that way, just like my nachos, baby. <laughs> um, but... Oh, man, there's a lot to break down here. Um, Rendon, I got into this. I mean, I mean, it wasn't like an argument, but with Rally Mullet, I'm sure a lot of you know him on, on Twitter. Um, huge Rendon guy, probably the Rendon guy. We're actually going to have him on later in the offseason when Rendon signs so we can get his full thoughts. But um, he was of the mindset that if you're Rendon, and he's, he was saying put money aside, which you can never do. But in this hypothetical, he was saying put money aside. Why would you leave D.C. and, like, your legacy behind? I've been saying it all off season, and I reiterated it on Twitter, and I'm going to reiterate it now, that Rendon's legacy in D.C. is set. Like, he's already a top-five nat of all time. His 2019 season, his 2019 postseason is always going to be remembered. Um, and he will always be beloved by, by Nats fans. So, yes, you can build upon your legacy here, but one, uh, it, I mean, it, it's already solidified. Like, you, unless you win, like, three more World Series, like, you're not going to, like, really do any more than you already have just because you've already achieved so much. And two, Rendon doesn't prioritize legacy like that. He wants to be comfortable. He wants to do what's best for his family. And he just wants to play baseball. Um, and, and that's why Texas is the favorite right now. It's not because they're a more appealing destination than the Nats, whether it's location, uh, like actual location, or like the team or anything like that. Clearly, the Nats have the advantage in that regard. It's because he's comfortable there. That's where he's from. That's where his family is. That's where he still lives. So that's why the Rangers are the favorite. And, I mean, if the... I, I know everyone hates to even think about this, but if the Phillies go out and offer him five years, three hundred million, yeah, Rendon's going to take that. M- money isn't his priority, but if one team like insanely outbids the rest, why would you not take that? This isn't like a, a Zach Wheeler situation where he turned down like ten or fifteen million dollars more from the White Sox to to go to Philly because his wife was from Jersey like that. That makes sense. But if a team grossly outbids everyone like the Phillies, uh, yeah, Rendon's probably going to take that, which I I don't know if they will or won't, but just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And like, well, I'll save like most of my thoughts to this when we talk about Mark Lerner's comments. Yeah. But that's probably smart. People are in denial about, but like at the end of the day, money talks like, it's hard to look at that much money and be like, 
I'm just not going to take it. Like people are mad when players go division rivals, but when that money's in front of you, it's very, very hard to say no to it because like I say all the time, money talks, but the best news of the week for Nats fans. And this was, <laughs> I, I laughed pretty hard that this was now announced 24 hours after Mark Lerner's comments to completely swipe under the rug, their PR disaster they're facing. Howie Kendrick's back, baby. <laughs> it, it's like, I mean, it, it's it's awesome. Like, I love that Howie's back. But if you look at it at a baseball point, what does Howie do for you now? Because obviously everyone loves him. We talked about how Rendon's legacy as a Nat is set. So is Howie's. Like, I mean, NLCS MVP has probably the top two biggest hits in Nats history, which spoiler we'll get to later. Um, like his, he will never pay for a drink in DC for the rest of his life. And then his kids and his grandkids and all that. Um, but as a approaching 37 year old guy who his defensive like metrics and just abilities are not what they once were like, what does he do for the Nats? Um, but to answer my own question, I think they're signing him to play first base. Like, yeah, if they need to fill him in at second base or even third base, yeah, I'm sure he can do that. But I think the intention is to platoon him at first base, which I honestly don't mind. Give him a full offseason, uh, like, working at the or at, at first base and going into the season as a first baseman, and I think he'll be fine. Yeah, like, there's been reports saying, like, Howie is going to face a lot of different potential roles next year, and this is, like, the third time Howie's turned out more money to stay in D.C. Literally most loyal guy, and he's a hero here for the rest of his time, so he's pretty smart. Cause like, if he starts struggling, no one's going to care because he just brought this team a freaking World Series ring. Um, but it's interesting. Like, is he going to be doing the same platoon role like he has been here, um, just filling in where he's needed. Is he going to be the first guy off the bench? Um, or are they just going to be like, you know what? Carter's our everyday second baseman. Let's pop him at first base. And there's been a lot of mixed reports out there. Um, and it really depends on what they do with Zim. As we know, Zimmerman wants back. He said, I'm either playing for the Nats, I'm not playing. And there's been reports saying the Nats want him back, but they haven't talked to him yet, which I think is really, really interesting Considering the fact that, like, Ryan gave up all, all of his, um, just any type of just type no of negotiating power. Yeah. Thank you very much. I was blanking on the word right there. <laughs> he just, like, he gave up all of that. And you think when a player does that, you'll just go talk to him real quick, get over with. But they haven't, which is very interesting. And Jesse Doherty, and as well as uh, Todd Dibas, reported that the Nats internally are considering getting a lefty power bat first baseman to pair with Howie instead of having Ryan Zimmerman, which would probably be a pretty big knife in the heart for Nats fans, especially if the Nats lose one of Rendon and Strasburg after losing another fan favorite the year before. That's three fan favorites in a row. But, like, it's a strict business. And I think going forward, the Nationals' potential first base situation is going to be the most interesting storyline for this team because there's so many different ways they can go about it. It's very interesting because even if we bring Zim back, 
our first base situation is going to need to be addressed next year too. Um, and I guess for the Nats fans, the sentimental, overly sentimental, I should say Nats fans, be very thankful that there wasn't a viable first base option on the market. Like if Anthony Rizzo was uh, on the market this year, bye-bye Zim. Like that, that's just because we don't have a first base option in the minors to really that we can groom and he can take over um, or, and there's not many great flyers either. Like people are talking about Eric Thames, uh, which I would like, but it just, what, how does he fit in into the NL specifically? But uh, so with Zim, it is, and I agree. It is interesting. They haven't talked to him yet. But I also think because he's given up his negotiating power, the Nats are actually being smart uh, by in negotiating, by not negotiating, if that makes sense, because they're going to make all their other moves, see where they're at, especially with Rendon and Strasburg, because they know Zim's not going to go elsewhere. Um, he's already made that clear. It, it's exactly. the Nats. He's playing, he's playing for the Nats or he's playing golf. He literally said that himself. Um, so they're being smart by just saving him for the last. And if they're really crunched against the cap, like for if they do sign Strauss and Rendon or Strauss and Donaldson or, or something in that, and they get right back up to the cap, then they might just give Zim like less than what he might be projected. Cause I saw like one year, 6 million, which I think is an overpay. So they might give him like one year, 2 million because that's what's, a, that's what's left. Like, Zim Zim's living comfortably one because he's made enough money and two he's going to transition to a front office role once his, his playing days are over so he he's fine he's not worried about the money and plus he knows injury history and his age he's not really going to cash in anyways um so I, I think that the Nats are being smart I, I still expect Zim to be back oh, as be much as if he's not right as much as pairing a lefty power bat with Howie at first sounds like a great idea, especially from a business standpoint, there isn't, there just isn't many options available. Like any lefty power bat quote unquote, uh, you're going to sign is going to be a flyer. And at that point you might as well stick with the devil, you know, and Zim and pray that he's healthy for at least like more than 120 games and uh, go from there and, and just ride one out and give Zim a farewell tour. Um, if he resigns, which again I expect him to, I think this is it for him. I think this is farewell season. Agreed. Yep. So we shall see. Um, I mean, I think, like I said, Strauss and Rendon are the top um, priorities, as they should be for the Nats. Um, it was interesting to see that uh, the Nats were engaging in, in Donaldson talks too because obviously they don't want to miss out on both with the secondary market in particularly Mike Moustakis uh, going off the board before Rendon and Donaldson it really forced the Nats hand because they can't afford to wait around Donaldson signs like let's say back with the Braves and then Rendon goes to the Rangers they're out of options like they, they can't afford to do that especially while their championship window is still open so I mean, yes, I would prefer Rendon, but if he's going to wait, wait this out, yeah, you need to make sure you're covered on all bases and you got to talk to Donaldson. 
Sorry, I forgot that I was, uh, be there for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Nationals also want a answer from Rendon by the winter meetings. The winter meetings start tomorrow morning, um, and they have been talking heavily to uh, Donaldson, as Bob Nightingale reported. A lot of people kind of crap on Bob Nightingale because he's a little bit of a fool, but he is a little unique. bit. He, I mean, he's, he's stupid. Like, he is – some of the stuff he says, I'm like, how does this guy have a freaking job? Um, he's such a boob. But he is pretty on <laughs> sometimes. So it is good seeing that the Nats are being aggressive and talking to a plan B because at this point it's Rendon or Donaldson. There's no other options. Like, if they don't get one of them two, they're 100% screwed next year. So seeing them being active and knowing, like, hey, like, the writing is on the wall with Rendon, and they did a great job of this last year when they lost Bryce. If he's gone, you got to supplement that somewhere. And the Nats said last year they got two catchers. They got full seasons of Rendon. I'm sorry, Soto, Robles, put Dozier in. They signed Corbin. They supplement that elsewhere. This free agent class is a lot weaker than last year, so it's going to be hard to do that. And if they don't get Donaldson, if they lose Rendon, this offense is going to be so poo-poo. Like, they yep. got to get one of them, or we're going to be in for a pretty just painful season offensively. So, them moving that, I like it. It's good. Hope Rendon's back, but love seeing that the plan B is being talked to. Yep. As they, they're, they're being smart. Credit to the executive of the year for 2019, Mike Rizzo. He's being smart. Um, so hopefully something comes to fruition soon. Um, I hope it's Rendon, but it might not be, and we need to be prepared for that. Um, but next on the docket, we have an interview for you with our 2019 guest of the year, Pete Medhurst. Uh, Amanda and I sat down with him over the phone um, and, and just talked about uh, random Nats news, uh, what Pete's up to, what he's going to be up to for the 2020 Nat season, and uh, obviously his long-awaited acceptance speech for such a prestigious award. Um, but without further ado, Pete Medhurst. All right, we are joined again by our guest of the year, as voted by our mm -hmm. Half Street High Heat listeners, <laughs> Mr. Pete Medhurst. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again, Pete. How you been? Honored to be the guest of the year and honored to be back with you guys. And uh, like everybody else, getting ready for the holidays here. And uh, obviously at least a piece of good news that one of the key pieces uh, to the Nationals puzzle from a year ago uh, going to be coming back uh, with Howie Kendrick. So uh, lots yes. to be thankful for and happy about these days. <laughs> Absolutely. That was the big news today. So, yeah, since the last time we talked, some things have happened, like the Nats won the World Series. So. <laughs> That's pretty exciting, and Howie Kendrick, of course, was a huge part of that. Um, you know, winning the MVP of the championship series at uh, at his age, and a guy who was, you know, almost out of the out of the league, and you know, just decided he would he would give it one more shot. It's really quite an extraordinary story. Yeah, at age thirty six, I mean, I think there's a lot of question as to, you know, what position he would play if he played regularly for somebody. But I also believe Howie knew uh, and was comfortable enough in his own skin that. You know, he probably wasn't playing 140, 145 games uh, at this point in his career. And as a result, 
uh, they were able to figure out a role. And obviously with Ryan Zimmerman going down, he was able to fulfill a role at first. And I think going forward with this team, obviously uh, there are other moves that need to be made. There's still uh, plenty of open spots on the 40-man roster for Mike Rizzo to do some maneuvering. But uh, he's a guy that, depending on what happens here, could give you uh, first, could give you second. And you know, depending on what happens over third, he could be a guy that gives you some starts over there. The other um, piece that they brought back that was notable so far is uh, Jan Gomes. And what do you think about having the tandem of Gomes and Suzuki back? Well, I mean, I think in the immortal words of uh, Bob Barker, the price is right there. I mean, they were able to <laughs> go down to, you know, $5 million per. I mean, it's uh, two for ten, uh, you know, at $5 million per. That way you're protected if – I gotta believe. I can't believe Gomes is going to perform the way he did overall uh, for the course of the season again this season, like he did last year. I think the track record was just too much. Uh, you know, too much positive last year. I think for whatever reason, things just didn't work out. And I think if you, you know, you look at Mike Rizzo. Mike likes to consistently say players play, you know, to the back of their baseball card. And I mm-hmm. think he is a guy that is eventually going to do that again uh, here. And I, I would expect – now, I'm not saying he's going to come back and be a, a 270, 280 hitter like he was at times in Cleveland. I believe he's going to be better than 217 uh, like he was in Washington uh, this past year. So I think, I think there are some better days ahead uh, for Jan Gomes. And I think if – truly, if Mike thought there was a better option out there, I mean, I, I look at it this way. You know, Grandall signs with the White Sox – and then Milwaukee, to replace him, goes and trades for Omar Navarez of Seattle. So mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not thinking there's a whole lot of options out there, and Jan Gomes was clearly uh, the, the best of those options, and that's why Mike uh, chose to go that route and bring him back. And I think Gomes and his agents saw the writing on the wall, too. That's not a bad price based on the production he gave the Nats overall last year. Right. Yeah. And we also we saw the, the um, catcher's market move pretty quickly because obviously Grandall, outside of Will Smith, was really like the first big name free agent to sign. Uh, I mean, it's hard to turn down that, the contract that, that was offered to him. But even uh, uh, I can't remember who Houston signed, but they signed a catcher. And then we saw Travis Darno in, in Atlanta sign pretty quickly. So, yeah, I, I, th- I agree with your point. It made sense to move when they did. And for Gomes' perspective and his agent, it just made sense. It was a place he just won the World Series in and has a reputation with all the guys and the pitching staff. So, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think there's any question. Gomes, Gomes is going to be much more productive uh, than the Travis Darno's of the world. Barring I mean, those guys, I'm saying those guys couldn't have, uh, you know, a, a miracle season. We see that from guys from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think certainly of what was available, unless you made a trade somewhere, um, Jan Gomes was clearly the best option, and we saw he and Suzuki, um, you know, provided a nice little little combination uh, for for the Nationals mm-hmm. at that spot last year. And like you you pointed out, you don't lose that time spent uh, getting to know the the pitching staff, and that and that's huge. I mean, a lot of times, even though you know there's spring training and things of that nature, it does take time for catchers to learn pitchers, and a lot of times it can take a quarter of the season and, and four or five starts before, um, you know, they can start to get on the same page. And uh, you don't lose such valuable time here uh, in this situation uh, with this duo, uh, the way it'll set up now here for the Nationals.
Yeah, right. I agree with we, that. And to your point about uh, about the production, we talked about this on the podcast last week about Gomes. You know, his production really was sort of inexplicably less than you would have expected in his first year here. So, you know, with the back of the baseball card, you know, argument, I, I think there's something to be said for that. He's certainly likely to be better than last year, even if he doesn't reach the levels he had earlier in his career. Well, and not only not only that, I mean, I mean, the question is, I mean. Can you expect the same thing out of Suzuki too? I mean, uh, if Kurt question. gives you that again, if Kurt gives you that again, more power to him. Uh, but you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get that either. Uh, and I think you're hoping that Gomes performs more like the player he has been, and maybe makes up for uh, some of that. Because I, I thought Kurt, man, uh, what he did for this team this past season was beyond unsung. Uh, for this club, the production, and, and look, that dude was playing hurt. I mean, there's, there's no question, and, and most catchers do, I mean, it, it, by nature of the position. But mm-hmm. what Kurt did for this team this past year uh, was incredible in, in my mind, especially based on the fact that Gomes did not give you what you maybe thought you were going to get coming over from Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, agreed with all of that, and uh, he has what he and Kendrick too. They have what Denard Span always used to call old man strength. I always loved that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what they have? It's it, uh, I mean, it comes back to that C word, man. They got character, man, and that, and it's that's a, that's that you know you can never you got to be careful about how many of you guys have like that on your team at age thirty five and thirty six and everything. I'm not saying you know everybody goes there's that you know no note out there. Well. You know, you can never have enough of those guys on your club. Now you got to be careful. You get too many of those guys on your club, you end up with about five or six guys that hit 218, and you keep waiting for a big <laughs> hit that's not coming, and all of a sudden you're seven games back in a great division like this is. But uh, you know, you got a couple. If you've got the right guys, and I think the Nats have the combination of the right guys, and I think that's something that kind of gets, you know, as amongst the, you know, obviously we praise Mike Rizzo for a lot of the stuff he does, and, and rightfully so. And I think general managers, you know, the good ones who get it right, they have a makeup of a club that has all the right balance, the right pieces, and, you know, the, the right character. It's got good character in the clubhouse. You don't see too many bad clubhouses uh, winning world championships in any sport. So I, yeah, I think that's, that's the, very the key with what Mike has done. It's a good mix of those veteran guys. And obviously, as we well know, this franchise has got uh, a couple of the best young players in Major League Baseball right now. So you've got great veterans for those guys to lean on and learn from as they continue to perfect their craft here as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that guys like Sanchez and, and uh, Para and those guys were a huge influence on the young players too. And that's something that you, you can't find in the stats and, and the analytics. but. They definitely had whatever that magic was last year. It was definitely something to behold. Yeah, and I, I look. I mean, you look. You can't blame Gerardo Parra for going to Japan for two million bucks. Heck no. He wasn't. He wasn't going to get that kind of money, especially with vesting for three million the following year. He wasn't going to get that at the major league level. He was a guy that was going to get minor league invites, and if you make it, hey, maybe you get a million dollars. Um, it, because he's a veteran. That's about the only thing he was looking at contractually. So you can't blame him for going the route uh, that he did. But at the same time, you got to have some. You got to have people to replace that. And that's why I think you keep a guy like a Howie Kendrick around. And and look, I mean, let's face it. The Ryan Zimmerman situation is not settled yet. I mean, Ryan basically nah, said Monday night, Mike. He said, "I'm going to play here, or I'm not playing anywhere." So that's a situation that's got to take care of itself. And 
I think if you see Kendrick back at the, the number he is, I think Ryan Zimmerman's number is going to be somewhere in the same neighborhood, maybe between 5 and $8 million uh, on a one-year deal coming up uh, for this season, if indeed he does stay here. I think that's a, a fiscally responsible deal. Ryan understands, you know, the, the injury risks that come along with him in his career at this point. But at the same time, when he was healthy this past season, he showed us that he still has – uh, more than anything to contribute. He can do it in the field, and he can still get you uh, a big hit uh, at the plate as well. So it's not like you're when – he's, when he's healthy, he's still a productive guy. It's not like he's a guy that when healthy, he's still up there just hitting 208 and struggling and grounding out the third. I mean, look, he's going to hit into double plays. That's just going to – that's going to happen from time to time. But when he's healthy, he's still a very productive player, and I think the, the, the runs that he saves you defensively still – play a premium, especially when you have a pitching staff, the quality uh, that the Nationals have right now, when, when Scherzer pitches and when Corbin pitches and hopefully mm-hmm. when Strasburg pitches this coming season, you know, hopefully. you need to keep those guys. Yeah, you need to keep those guys and those teams to three runs or less. So you got to have good defense behind them as well. They're not miracle workers, even though they're great. Mm-hmm. They're not miracle workers out there without good defense. Yeah, it was funny with the uh, the Ryan Zimmerman comments the other night about how he was playing in Washington or uh, or nowhere else. He's very self aware, like you said, about his injury history and just his age and whatnot. But not the best negotiator, uh, not the best tactic <laughs> when uh, trying to uh, to get a new deal. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know what? For, that's a guy. That's a guy. That is a guy that has the ultimate confidence and and security in who he is. As a yeah. person, I mean that—that's the so not, not that's why you, don't. right? No, you're right. And, and I, I mean, what him and Heather have done for this community through the Zims Foundation and uh, what he has obviously done to this franchise. There were times where he could have, he could have mm-hmm. gone elsewhere or pushed to go mm-hmm. elsewhere, but he has stayed here his entire career, and um, he's a guy that we're going to look back on fondly uh, when uh, he eventually does decide uh, to call it quits. As a guy that. Pretty much stuck with one franchise, was indeed a franchise player here as the first draft pick for this franchise here in D.C. And the fact that he's won a world championship, it solidifies the whole, uh, it, it solidifies the whole thing for Ryan Zimmerman. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you, you don't see uh, many people be able to do that, like Derek Jeter and hopefully Ryan Zimmerman are kind of the exceptions uh, to that role. Like, as great as Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Garrett Cole, the, those types are, you very rarely see them stick with one team. All of those guys have changed teams once or twice. So Well, I mean, they become nomads. See. Yeah, but they become nomads. And, and you know, look, uh, until Garrett Cole got to Houston, I mean, in Pittsburgh, he showed signs of being a decent pitcher. But until he got mm-hmm. with a good club, he did not excel to this level. Um, and right. I think that's all, that's all part of it. I mean, you've got to find the right mix and the right club that fits you. And, you know, I, and that's why I always come back to everybody talks about, well, the Yankees are getting involved. Well, you know, not every guy wants the scrutiny of New York. I mean, literally every pitch you throw in a city like that, every swing of the bat you make, uh, you are under the microscope. Some dudes yeah. don't want that, you know. It's not yeah, look worth at a Sonny couple Gray. extra million. Right. Yeah. Sonny Gray was filthy uh, for Cincinnati when we saw him out there uh, this year. He right. pitched against uh, the Nats when I did one of those series out there. And, I mean, he came back to having the filthy stuff that he had. And I think it's just because when he, when he took the mound, he just had a mental clarity and confidence uh, being outside of the microscope uh, of New York. We've seen plenty of dudes through the years 
uh, go to New York and uh, turn into different people than they were before they got there. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's true. And it's why I can't see Rendon signing in either a New York or L.A. I, I just can't imagine he would. A, a guy with a personality like him playing in a place like that, I think he'd hate it. But I guess we will see soon. Hopefully soon we'll see him uh, sign somewhere so that we can uh, get some clarity on what's going to happen at third base for the Nats. Because if it's not going to be Rendon, then they need to do something. Yeah. I don't think we've got well, anybody in the farm system who's going to replace his production. No, I mean the question well, would become: Do you? It, it, yeah, I mean, do you move? Do you move Keyboom over there in the short term? Would be uh, a consideration. Do you play? You know, Howie there part of the time, and either Defoe or an Adrian Sanchez type player uh, there part of the oh, time. Wow. Those are certainly right. But I mean, that's that <laughs> is the alternative right now. And right. obviously, Mike's got Mike's got openings on the forty man roster. So if he wants to make a deal, he can. And I think he's got some chips out there. Um, you know, I think there would be some interest in a Joe Ross. I think there might be mm-hmm. some interest in an Austin Voth. And I think if you package them, you could package them with either a Fetty or even a Michael A. Taylor at this point, um, if you needed to, uh, to to maybe get a uh, to, to get another uh, you know infielder. So it, we'll we'll see. I mean, the only thing I mean. I, when guys when guys change leagues like that, if it was a Whit Merrifield, I mean, you know, you're 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 just in my mind, you're gambling at this point. Um, uh, but it, it appears as if the Braves are very comfortable bringing back Josh Donaldson. They appear to have turned their focus there. So I, I think that I think it would be uh, very interesting to see what Mike Rizzo does if indeed Anthony Rendon signs with. And I think it's going to be the Rangers. I think it's going to be. Heading back, I mean, Anthony's a guy, I mean, if you if you read him, you know, he is a dude where baseball, baseball is important in terms of how he makes his living, but, you know, it's not the end-all and be-all. So I'm not sure yeah, if Anthony's out there for – Right. I don't yeah. think he's out there for every darn dollar. I think Anthony's strictly out there for what is comfortable for him and his family, and that's why I think if he does indeed leave D.C., I think it's a return to Texas uh, for Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. I keep hoping yeah. the Rangers will sign Josh Donaldson so that we can sign Rendon again. <laughs> yes, we'll but but you know happens. what though? But you know what though? Look, as much as much, and I, I keep saying this, you know, on the air, on the fan, and everything. Um, until one of these teams actually puts dollars and cents in front of these players. You know, Nobody none of this you. is moving. It's great. Mm-hmm. We're, we're interested in you. We're interested in you. Well, what, what, are, what are you putting on paper? I mean, notoriously a few years ago, um, I know a college football coach that was in a negotiation with what people thought was going to be a slam dunk situation. Well, the people he was negotiating with never put the paper in front of him. And he finally said, well, you know what? I don't, I don't need to leave the job I'm in, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to – this is over. This negotiation is over. Right. I'm going back to where I was. So, um, you know, we don't know. We don't. And I thought, I know Mark Lerner's comments to Donald Dell have been a, a hot topic over the last few days. Yep. <laughs> I look at those mm-hmm. comments this way. I think Mark Lerner is fattening frogs for snakes here. He wants the Rangers and anybody else that are involved with Rendon and Strasburg maybe to think, okay, well, if the Nets are really out on both of them, maybe we don't have to offer as big a contract. So the number they may put in front of Rendon. If Boris comes back to the learners with that number, they'll say, oh, well, we can match that number. Fine. And, and they end up doing it. Um, it could be shrewd negotiation on his part because 
People that have billions of dollars in the bank and the learner corporation has billions of dollars, they don't make that much money, you know, without being smart with it and being shrewd in terms of negotiating it. I mean, they did put $300 million on the table for for Bryce Harper last year. It's not like they, you know, it's, it's not like they didn't put anything out there. I mean, it's $30 million a year. I mean, that's a great annual value mm-hmm. contract, but that was where they were willing to go with it. So it's not like they they weren't willing to pay him. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a, that's still a heck of a payday, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, but you know, Bryce's ego was, was, you know, satisfied for about, you know, 60 minutes. And then the angels just said, Oh, Mike Trout, Hey, we're going to pay you uh, even more than that. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, here, here we are. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. Well, it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, what happens. It, I always feel like the free agent market just kind of stalls and stalls and stalls until one of the really big name signs, and then all the dominoes start to fall. So, but, but you know what, though, Amanda, I think the players. I think the look. Let, let's go back to two, two, three years ago when JD Martinez was on the market in the American League. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt there was a there there uh, all every team in the American League could have benefited from having a JD Martinez. He didn't mm-hmm. sign though because of. A, how much he was holding out for, another Boris Corporation guy. And, you know, I mean, that's why he didn't sign until February because teams basically said, look, you're a designated hitter. This is what we're willing to go uh, in terms of, of a DH. And the Red Sox, you know, the Red Sox eventually won that sweepstakes, but they won it by default because, you know, the, the number basically was said to Boris, this is how high we're going. Well, his mind was, my player's worth more than that. Well, they're like, great. Whoever's willing to pay him this number, send him there. And as it turns out, mm-hmm. there weren't many people, again, putting an offer on the table for his services. So eventually, by the time spring training comes around, he settles and goes to the Red Sox. Now, eventually, he wins a world championship there, so it all works out. But, you know, that's a guy that in years gone by that hits for that kind of power that would have gone in the first three or four weeks of free agency in years gone by. We're just in a different situation now where teams are going to do this because of the luxury tax a lot more delicately. And all you have to do is look at the Red Sox situation. They're in a situation now where they may have to deal Mookie bets and they've got mm-hmm. two pitchers who they've invested a gazillion dollars in who are not giving them anything right now because they're consistently hurt and Chris Sale and David Price. And that's why the Red Sox had issues defending their world championship because they had a ton of dollars invested in guys that were hurt and couldn't play. Yeah, that's an excellent example. That is an excellent example. Well, while we have you, um, what's your uh, involvement with the team this year? Are you going to be calling games again like you did last year when you were filling in? I guess that's still to be determined. That all uh, depends on how many uh, games uh, that if Bob Carpenter misses any games and Dave moves over to TV or anything like that. But, um, you know, certainly I've had some preliminary conversations with the club about continuing on uh, in the post-game role. Uh, that I had at times uh, last year on Sundays and uh, stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, at minimum, coming back and, uh, you know, hosting some Nats Talk Lives uh, again uh, for the coming season. And uh, if I'm fortunate enough uh, to do anything else, then, um, you know, it's a blessing and a bonus uh, just like last year was. I don't think I, you know, in the, my wildest dreams could have ever expected uh, what transpired last year uh, to transpire for me. And, just hopeful that uh, if I'm lucky enough uh, to have those opportunities again uh, to, uh, to, to take advantage of them uh, as they arise in 2020. I mean, it's a fun organization to work with and be around, and the guys are uh, tremendous. And, 
you know, when you when you work for a team that eventually wins the World Series, that's a that's an amazing amazing season. And you know, as I've said to anybody that's asked me, 2019 by far professionally was the greatest professional year uh, of my life. It's going to be hard to top uh, what occurred this past season. Right, yeah. because you won well, guest of the year great. for Half Street High Heat, right? Absolutely. Right. Exactly. exactly. Right. <laughs> the highlight of the 2019 year for you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, All but we certainly. We certainly hope uh, you're back because we loved uh, watching you and, and hearing you. Um, but I guess, like you said, it, it's a matter of the, the team putting pen to paper in front of you, right? Yeah, they've got some bigger fish to fry right now. Um, so, you know, I, 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 if, if, I, if, I ha- if I have to wait till February, uh, I'm more than willing to do that uh, for the club yeah. right now uh, because I, I believe Mr. Rendon, Strasburg, and filling out that 40-man roster – um, they they might carry just a little more uh, sensitivity and uh, importance right now. Probably. Hey, they just got to a keep little. the band together, man. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And yeah, it's no a cool year to get your first opportunity to to do the play by play on the year that they win the World Series. And you were awesome. I listened to a bunch of the games that you called. I'm in my car all the time, so I'm always listening to to the radio station. And yeah, you were you were great. I hope they give you uh, some more opportunities to do that. No, yeah, I appreciate that. You guys are very million. kind. Well, <laughs> well you thank know. you so much for <laughs> <laughs> for joining us. I know we've already taken more of your time than we said we would. We really appreciate you uh, coming on. Is there anything? What do you have going on now? Give us plugs. When, where can people hear? Uh, right now, obviously, I've got uh, Navy basketball where, that I'm uh, broadcasting at the Mids and Marist coming up tomorrow night uh, on Saturday, and then I'll have the the rest of the Navy schedule. I've got the Army Navy game coming up on December fourteenth. Uh, in Philadelphia football-wise, and then the mids have qualified for a bowl game. So uh, I'll be heading somewhere. It could be the Military Bowl in Annapolis, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Uh, so uh, we will see some certainly some great opportunities uh, for Navy football out there and Navy basketball the rest of the season. And then, oh, by the way, lacrosse, which runs uh, concurrently with baseball season, uh, will be out there as well. So plenty of things to uh, keep Pedro busy here uh, over the next few months, <laughs> that's for sure. You have a lot of yeah. jobs, that is for sure. Pete, one last question for you, just because I know uh, Amanda's an Army person. Uh, I mean, we all know December 14th is Army versus Navy. (laughs) Who Mm -hmm. who do you have? What's your prediction? Well, since I am the play-by-play voice of the Navy midshipmen, (laughs) um, there's a good chance I'm going to pick Malcolm Perry, uh, the American Offensive Player of the Year, and the Navy midshipmen in that game. But as we've seen in the past, as bad as Navy season went for them last year, it was still a one-possession game. And we've seen it plenty of times in the past. No matter who has the better record, the other team plays great. It's always a competitive game. And at the same time, and this is the way I describe it to people, when the game is over and graduation comes in May, um, they all become part of the same great fighting force uh, that this country has. And, you know, I I always describe service academy football like two of the teams are ranked right now. Um, College football is not built – in a way right now where the service academies are supposed to be able uh, to compete at this level with the kind of money that has been invested by the Alabamas, the Clemsons. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to penalize those programs for the investment that they've made in their program. But the service academies certainly don't have that kind of capital uh, to invest. And the fact that two of the teams are ranked right now, and even though Army's gone five and seven this year, five of their seven losses are by like a touchdown or less. So they could very well be Instead of five and seven, they could easily be eight and four uh, coming into this game uh, with the mids uh, next Saturday. So 
Uh, the fact that all three service academies are playing competitive football in the environment that college football has become today uh, is just extraordinary work uh, by all three uh, of the service academies football programs uh, right now. And that's why I look forward to what is a great spectacle of sports. And the best part is it's the only college football game the country is going to watch next Saturday. So they get the stage Absolutely. all to themselves and a chance to put a great game of football uh, out there for everyone to see. It's yeah, I'm very well to it. I can't wait. It's always a good game, no matter how good or bad either of the teams is. It's always a great it's game. A, it's just better when Navy wins, that's all. Whatever. <laughs> for me, Which it is, is that's for the sure. Case. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always rooting for Army, but we will see what happens. Well, thank you so much, Pete. We really appreciate it. I hope that you'll join us again soon, and have a wonderful holiday. You guys do the same, and please call anytime. All right, take care. Awesome. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye, Pete. All right, big thanks to Pete Medhurst, your 2019 Heater Guest of the Year. It was great catching up with him, seeing what he's, what he's up to. Uh, definitely looking forward to him potentially being back as the play-by-play guy uh, on Nats Radio, but we can always catch him on 106.7 The Fan um, and follow him on Twitter at Pete Medhurst. Um, Great interview. Love talking to him, and we will definitely talk to him again in the future. Uh, we were kind of on a time constraint, but, man, we could could have talked forever. So thanks again, Pete. We will catch up with you soon. Um, but let's move on. We alluded to it before, but it. It, it's, it's shocking that you can come off a World Series on the back of spending money, right? And come out and say, like, not even two months since you won the World Series, and say that you don't have enough money. That is shocking. Well, let let me just preface. um, In case uh, Nats fans just haven't caught up with the news, Mark Lerner came out and said that the Nats do not have enough money for Rendon and Strasburg, which is just baffling but ryan go ahead yeah so this is such a weird and just like unprofessional move on his behalf to sit down and do a tell like do any type of interview and say something like this dan snyder is the worst owner of professional sports he doesn't do this like he doesn't he doesn't sit down or just talk about it and the other thing that really irritates me is it's a damn lie like Yep. The Nationals payroll right now is projected between 100 and 110 million. For those of you who don't know, the luxury tax next year is 208 million. So that's about 100 million to play with. Let's also factor in the fact that the Nats did not go over the luxury tax, so all penalties reset. Let's also factor in the fact that the Nats just won the World Series, okay? Think about all the playoff games that they sold out, all the suites that they sold, the beer, the food, the merchandise the ticket money, the money you get from the revenue, uh, the money you get from the TV ratings. And then also, when you win a World Series, your attendance goes up on average, historically, over 5,000. So the Nats are going to get a lot of extra ticket money next year. They've sold a lot of extra season tickets. They sold a crap ton of World Series merchandise. They're also about getting $100 million from um, the mass and payment. And Scott Boris said the Nats made $30 million uh, during the World Series run, like 
they have they're sitting on so much extra money right now more than they probably ever had and what really grinds my gears about this that that old man sat there and lied like if he would have came out and be like hey you know signing two players over the age of 30 for big deals like they want is bad for business i would have been completely okay with that because you know what signing both of them long term is terrible for business Rendon, he's gonna retire early um He's also over the age of 30. We know the history of players there. Steven Strasburg, he's 31. His arm is also the age of someone who's about 45 because of all his injury history. You know the history there. That's fine. Say that. Don't sit there and lie to everyone and completely ruin the World Series high with stupid comments because you want to know what's really going to hurt your whole chances of great season tickets and great ticket sales, losing both of them. Watch what happens to this fan base, which, by the way, has given this ownership and this entire team a lot of slack and leeway for some very, very devastating things that happen and a lot of crap we've been through. Go ahead and lose Bryce, Rendon, and Strasburg back-to-back years. Like The fans aren't going to have a reason to keep coming or even get attached to players because everyone they're just going to assume everyone's going to leave. And they also throw in the fact that, hey, we may not re-sign them, lose all four of them, watch what happens. And uh, this, like, those comments just made me so mad because it's such a lie. But, like, I don't think he also understands the impact that it, <laughs> it would have on this team if he goes cheap next year, resets, and loses both of them. Yeah, it's insane. Um, and to your World Series merch like point, the World Series Navy jerseys or World Series jerseys with the patches on them have not gone on sale yet. Plus, the new Nike jerseys are going to come out, which everyone's going to want the new updated Nike jerseys. So that's going to be an added boost for all teams, not just the the Nats. Um, but the Nats mm-hmm. get the extra boost because they won the freaking World Series. And also, so, they did watch parties, which had about twenty thousand people at buying food and beer. Yeah, they raked them money this off season. Yeah, it's it's just baffling. I mean, because like you can do the numbers yourself, and the Nats love like. So let's use Strauss an example. Let's say six years, one hundred eighty million. It, it won't necessarily be 30 million against the cap every single year. This year it might be 15 next year or two years. It might be 45. Like the Nats are known for doing that and structuring deals so that it's more money one year and less money uh, like in the front or wh- however it, it does uh, work out. But they're, they can easily do that so that if they're really that concerned about this year, they can backload someone else's contract or, or like restructure or structure it in a certain way that it doesn't hurt you. There's so many different ways to to avoid the salary cap, which they're not even close to hitting anyways, that this interview just looks bad from every single perspective, every single way you look. It is at a it. PR disaster. It, yeah, <laughs> it's like where are your like where's your press team where's your where are your lawyers mark like geez like i i didn't i personally did not like the way the nats uh front office handled the bryce harper situation last year specifically uh mark Lerner. um i mean that's a different situation but i just felt like they should have been more involved for someone of bryce harper's uh importance 
uh, again, we can debate that all day long, but I just didn't like the way he handled it. And I, and I think among Nats fans, the majority love Rendon and Strasburg more, and he's doing the same thing or exactly. he's not really being aggressive. He's back on his heels. He's saying, Oh, there's just not enough money when there clearly is. It, it's just, it's bad business. And I mean, we, we got on Ted when Ted was in charge and it turns out Mark's even worse. Um, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Like, I don't know how or why, or just how you can do this. Like, Signing both of them long-term, like, Nats fans want both back. If I woke up tomorrow morning and I saw both of them signed here, I would be hyped as hell. But, like, signing both of them long-term will probably hinder the franchise. And so if he said that, hey, it's just not bad for business, we're in a one or the other situation, fine. But he didn't. He said something stupid, and he lied. And what makes this worse is is when Desmond's a free agent, it was, we can't pay Desmond, we need that money for Zimmerman. Oh, uh, we can't pay Zimmerman. We need that money for Bryce. Yep, that's a great uh, we point. can't pay Bryce. We need that money for Rendon. And now we're getting to Rendon in Strasburg, and he's like, well, we don't have enough money for both. We need that money for Soto. Exactly. So when Soto's free agent, like, <laughs> in five mm, years. <laughs> yeah. You know, five, or no, they're probably like, mm, we need that money for Trey. Uh, well, we can't sign Trey. We have to pay Soto. Can't sign Soto because we have to pay Robles. It's like it's going to get to a point where people are going to be like, why am I being a fan of this team and wasting my money getting so invested with players that don't have a hope of staying? And that's why you're sending out this message by saying something that stupid. And I don't know, these comments just really made me mad because, like, they can't afford both of them. And, again, like, I don't want to keep repeating myself sound like a broken record. It truly is a one or the other situation. But when, like, Last offseason was emotionally draining for Nats fans. Like you said, you didn't like the way they handled it. Here we go again. They're not planning on meeting with them. It's risky, but it's also smart at the same time. Like They're just being so just passive and way too yep. patient with a roster that really right now is probably a 75-win team. And like a lot of people aren't going to be that upset about it because, hey, you know, you got the World Series high, but show a little aggressiveness and sense of urgency with your own superstars that this fan base loves and adores. Yeah. Uh, they need to be proactive. They're being reactive right now. They need to be proactive. If they need to, what teams are doing and you're lucky Strasburg isn't taking offense by teams prioritizing Garrett Cole. Um, Cause I mean, there's a lot of egos in baseball and just sports in general, and Steven Strasburg is not one of them. Neither is Anthony Rendon, for that matter, but I'm just using Strauss because he plays the same position as Garrett Cole. Um, you're very lucky that Strauss isn't like an ego type, um, but also you need to show Strauss that it's him. He's their guy. Like, if the Nats were talking to Garrett Cole, yes, I would be absolutely hyped, but... I mean, the the starting bid, seven years, $245 million, the starting bid. So if the Nats want to bow out of that, I don't blame them. Like, that's a lot of money. Um, but you need to go after your guys. Like, look at – I'm using it again. Like, 
Mike Moustakis. The Reds could have gotten in the Rendon sweepstakes or the Donaldson sweepstakes, but no, they identified Moose as their guy. Granted, he's playing second base for them, but they identified Moose as their guy, and they went out and got him. That's why you're seeing the secondary market go uh, so quickly as opposed to the top-tier market is because people are identifying their guys and going out to get them. The Nats need to do the same, and they're being passive, and it's going to bite them in the butt it's it's not going to be pretty if they're going to continue to negotiate with those two in particular at the same rate. Um, and prior to signing Howie, uh, there was a tweet about the Nats projected infield. This was vomit-inducing. It was like third base, Jake Nall. Second base was Trey, which is fine. Or th- shortstop, I should say. Second base was Carter Keeboom. And first base was, I don't even remember who first base was. I think it was Jake Knoll, and then like third base was Defoe. Oh yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. I mean, Wilmer freaking Defoe. That should be enough to tell you like the state of the Nats right now. And Ryan, you're 100 percent right. Without, if for some reason we lose both, like let's just say for some reason we lose both, Garrett Cole is long gone. I mean, this team is shot because there's not really if you miss out on all of them. I guarantee you, like, the other second-tier or secondary market guys are going to have signed as well. So the Nats are going to be relying on guys like Todd Frazier. And uh, I can't even think of, like, a terrible pitcher <laughs> that they would sign to replace Strauss. Like, it, it's going to be very bad if they're not proactive at some point. Like, yes, I understand they want an answer for Rendon. But as you started the show with, one of those two is going to have to budge, and it's not going to be Rendon. It's just exactly. not. It's not going to be Boris. Like, Boris is a great agent for a reason. He's going to, like, take his his top-tier guys on the full-on tour, get free dinners and free tours and all the perks and amenities and stuff. And the, it only takes one great tour, one great, like, meeting for a guy to want to sign elsewhere. So the Nats... It's risky not meeting with them, but if that's what they want to do, power to them. I just hope they're still being proactive in other regards. So, man, we shall see. It's it's tough, especially when you see what the Braves are doing. Uh, like hell, even the Marlins are making moves. Um, it's concerning, uh, to say the least. But yep, he got his we'll ring, see. and now we'll he's gonna sit on it. Yeah, and he can <laughs> shove it, too, if he doesn't <laughs> sign Strauss or Rendon. Yep. All right, so we are going to move on to a more um, uplifting segment. I mean, plenty of negative <laughs> so far in the offseason. Not necessarily negative, but cause for concern. Yeah, frustration. Um but we're going to move on to a more uplifting segment and uh, we're approaching the end of the decade, not just the end of the year, but the end of the decade. So uh, for the rest of the year, we're going to be doing some segments where we kind of look back and reminisce on some great moments. Um, so you'll, you'll see us doing uh, some lists uh, about some memories, some fond memories we have in Nat's history. So today we are going to do the top five biggest hits in Nat's history. Ryan has his list. I, I have mine. Um, we'll save honorable mentions for the end because I know I certainly had more than five, and I think you said you do too. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll save honorable mentions for the end. But, Ryan, give the audience your number five. You know, 
my number, <clears throat> excuse me, allergy season. Um, my number five was the number one before this current playoffs happened. Um, it was a national, true, one shining moment, and one that the entire fan base kind of, you know, rallied to, and they just really cling to it really hard because it was the only thing that this fan base had to be proud of in the mo in the playoffs because we had so much negativity and so much bad things that happened to us. So my number five is the Jose Lobatone home run <laughs> versus the Dodgers in game two. I was there. It was electric. Three run ding dong off of Rich Hill. The place went nuts and they won the game because of that home run. Absolute electric city. <laughs> well, that certainly was a, a nice little tease you gave there, but uh, I I honestly have my number five as the Worth Game Four home run. It I hate Worth not because of what he necessarily did, but because of what the fans thought he was. It just rubbed me the wrong way, and it continued to rub me the wrong way, and it still continues to rub me the wrong way. Yep. but. It was a great moment. I remember I wasn't there, but I was watching it live, and I erupted like I was in the middle of that chaos that was Nats Park. It was awesome. The Just the, the drama, like the 12-pitch at-bat, I mean, that was insane. Um, it was 2012, so it was our, our first taste of the playoffs. It, there was just so much, um, but... Alas, it is number five. Um, it, it wouldn't have been, even been number one for me prior to this postseason just because of how that series ended, but it certainly deserves to be on this list just because of the magnitude uh, of that situation. But um, I, I wish it wasn't on my list because I really don't like Jason Worth, but it is. <laughs> it is right. what it is. Ryan, you're um, number four. Yeah, so there were, this guy's going to be on here you know, quite a lot in my honorable mentions. But I am going to go with recency bias here, and it is the Ryan Zerman home run in Game Four of the NLDS. The crowd was dead; they were winning at the time, but like there was just a sense that like here we go again, same nats all over again. He struck out bad in his bat before; no one could really do anything, even though, like I said, they were winning. And then he comes through and he lifts the team, he lifts the city, everyone with this one shining moment. His home run, game four at the NLDS, my number four moment. Yeah, and because that, of who he is to the franchise, that's also why it's right. number four. That should have been more of a consideration for me. I completely forgot about that. Um, not on my list, but an honorable mention was his game one home run in the World Series. I thought that was equally as awesome. like uplifting, just because we're like, holy hell, if we can just get one game in Houston just get me one game in Houston. And I was like, Garrett freaking Cole game one. And you're like, Oh geez, please just don't get, don't go down. Oh two. And then all of a sudden Zim like breaks the scoring. And it was cool because Zim really had his moment in each round of the playoffs. Like the NLDS was that home run. You mentioned Um, NLCS was like that diving play that everyone freeze framed and he went full extension. Um, And then obviously attack. Yeah, and then obviously the the game one home run in the World Series. So, I mean, yeah, he, he what he meant to the franchise. Wow, what he meant to the franchise 
franchise. Why can't I talk right now? Um, it is just so important. So it's cool to see him get his moments in each round. Uh, but I love that pick. I actually have Zim as this next one on my list as well, but it's not the one you're necessarily thinking of. Number four for me is the Zim walk-off home run in the first ever game at Nats Park. Um, it, it, in my opinion, it really ushered in like a new age of Nats. They finally got out of the football stadium RFK. It was a new shiny park. Uh, it was like really one of their first sellouts. Um, cause I, I don't, they were probably close to selling out RFK. I'm certainly it sure the they're, they're opening. Back. Yeah. Yeah. The first game back. Yeah. But other than that, they didn't really sell out much cause they weren't very good, but Zim obviously had a huge part in ushering in the new age and the new park and Zim of all people capping that off. I was there. It was electric. I mean, John Roush blew it in the top of the ninth and then Zim walks it off. Oh man. Never changed, man. Yeah. It, it was beautiful. It was awesome. And like, it's just one of those moments in Nats history that people will never forget. So number four for me, the Zim walk off at the inaugural game in Nats park. Uh, my number three, and quickly, sorry, move into that. Um, you were there. Um, I was utterly speechless. I think I cheered <laughs> up a little bit. I was just like, oh, my God, this is finally happening. The monkey is off all of her backs. The Howie Kendrick Grand Slam Game 5 NLDS is my number three moment. Yeah. I mean, it is on my list. It is not number three, so it's either one or two. Just letting you know. Um, great true. moment. I'll, I'll get I'll get into it in, in the, when I get to it. But number three for me is I, I can tell we kind of went different ways with our list, and I, I'm sure all the options are equally as uh, equally deserving to be in consideration. But number three for me is another walk off, but it's from someone who's probably forgotten in Nat's history. That's uh, Vinny Castilla. Uh, his uh, walk-off home run in the first ever Nationals game was like, yeah, the the team finished 81-81, which is respectable, but, I mean, they had so many bad years after that. But just that game and the way it ended, well, obviously a walk-off home run, so electric and in front of a sellout crowd at at RFK. uh, It was – I was there too. it was just like it meant so much that baseball was finally back. And yeah, Vinny Casilla isn't like recognized as like a, a Nats legend by any means. Like that was pretty much his only shining moment in a Nats uniform. But that moment was just like, wow, baseball's back. It's something to finally get excited about. It, it was great. Um, and I think that it gets overlooked a lot just because uh, it's not as big of a name as some of the other Nats greats we've seen in recent years. But number three for me. My number two, um, I was there. It was the greatest moment of my life when it happened. I went absolutely ballistic. I lost my voice. My voice was gone for about a good three or four days. Um, the Brewers fans, <laughs> the Brewers fans, <laughs> the Brewers fans in front of me looked like <laughs> Seth Rogen. Um, just couldn't handle the heat of me mocking him. I went absolutely nuts. It was an exorcism. And my number two is the Juan Soto hit in the yeah. wild card game. Electric. The loudest I've ever heard Nats Park. The loudest I think I've ever got any like baseball moment. Well, at the time. Lost my mind. And that's my number two. 
Yeah, I messed up. I completely forgot about that. For some reason, I was only <laughs> thinking home runs. Uh, I was only thinking home runs for some reason. Uh, that one absolutely deserves to be on the list. So I am officially bumping Worth off this list. Uh, yeah, we'll put Soto. At, <laughs> yeah, we'll put Soto at number three because that that one deserves way more credit than the no credit I gave it when I was trying to think of my list. Um, so yes, Worth, you're officially off the list. Um, all right, number two for me is the Howie Grand Slam. I was there, and I, I saw on Twitter uh, MLB did their top game. Top, I think they did, it was a top 100 games of the 2019 season as a whole, and number one was this game. And just for me, like personally being there, like that was great, but just the manner in which it happened, like I would just happen to schedule a trip to California. We happened to be driving up north from San Diego on that day, and it was just like, oh, we're free. Oh, tickets are not that cheap or not that expensive. They're pretty cheap. <laughs> Big flex. <laughs> <really good seat>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and like just the manner which it all came together and like all the Dodgers, I like when I got there, they were down 3-0 and all the Dodgers fans were just giving me shit. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like even the, the, the attendants were like talking smack to me. Like I was just hearing it. And when I sat down, they were down 3-0. And by the time I left that game, they were 1-7-3, monkey off their back. I love that game. It it will forever be one of my favorite memories. Uh, That moment was unreal. And aside from Game 7 in Houston, there's not another game I would have rather been at than that one. That one meant so much in just the manner in which it happened. I can't speak on it enough. It's just surreal. But yeah, Ryan, I mean, oh, my sorry, one sorry, my one comment about that um, is just I remember like laying in my chair, just so scared, and my phone vibrated. It was a text from you, and all uh, yeah. it said was "Oh my god!" And like TBS was like five minutes behind, so I was literally like saying they're so scared. I was like, "Great!" He just hit into a triple play, and the ball just kept going. He just kept going, but. um I think our number one is pretty obvious. It's also the number one for probably every single Nationals fan. The greatest noise in the history of D.C. sports. The Brandon the greatest... Bell home run in the 18th inning. <laughs> oh, now I'm crying. <laughs> the gr- like, when I die, just play that noise. Besides the Shrek theme song, play that noise at my funeral. Just the boom of Howie Kendrick, game seven, hitting the foul pole to take the lead, and that's when everyone was like, oh, my God, this team's going to win the World Series. It will forever be the greatest moment in Nationals history. It's my number one. I'm sure it's everyone else's number one as well. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's mine. Like, no shock there. It is literally the biggest hit. It might always forever be the biggest hit. In that history, that hit literally got Howie re-signed. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, you can't really say otherwise. Like that hit just meant so much. That that sound of a hit, it hitting off the foul pole, um, people will always recognize that sound. It was phenomenal. I mean, you can't say enough. And just obviously, it meant. Yeah, there's no arguing it. There's literally no argument against it. Like that that's really how you sum it up. 
but honorable mentions, you got any good ones? Yeah, I'm just going to fly through them. Um, the Ryan Zimmerman walk-off, his first walk-off home run against the Yankees. Uh, oh, on Father's and, Day? Yeah. Yeah, that, I was there online. in the old part. Hey, no way. And then his 10th career walk-off against the Yankees as well was at that off Andrew Miller, the 0-0 ERA. Pretty cool. Um, Soto ending Ken, uh, Kershaw. Redone's home run in game six. Um, Bryce and Zimmerman's home runs in game two against the Cubs come to mind. Hate to say it, but Michael Taylor's grand slam in the playoffs. And those are, I don't know, I just, I like sticking to, um, like, playoffs, unless it's, like, a pretty big special moment. Um, but, yeah, those are all of my honorable mentions. Yeah, the only, I, I had a lot of the same. I, the ones that weren't, like, playoffs in particular, um, I was honestly considering Bryce's winning home run in the home run derby. Uh, oh, electric that, city! That electric, that oh man! <laughs> and I think if he had stayed with the Nats, that probably would have made my list. Um, but obviously, it means less now and that being he's there gone. Awesome. Right? Being oh man, I mean, we've said it before, but if you guys ever get the chance to go to a home run derby, one, make sure you sit in the outfield, and two, it will forever be like the best investment of your life. Like we dropped like seven hundred dollars to sit in like two thirty one <laughs> row A aisle seats and it was so worth it i oh, mean zero questions electric asked factory when i told him the price yeah <laughs> he was, I was just like <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was great oh man um so that would have made my list i think so, people could make an argument for i it's certainly not the top five in nat's history considering how this postseason went. But if you want to argue like the Suzuki home run and the comeback or like a para grand slam, like, yeah, there's an argument for that. Like I'll, I'll entertain it, but it's not top five, but this is the honorable mention category. So it's honorably mentioned. Um, but I think that uh, does it for those um, top hits in Nats history. If we missed any, which is quite possible there's plenty to to choose from let us know on twitter and also let us know your list too how you would rank them um one through five we'd love to hear it but i think that does it for us ryan you have any final thoughts no uh hashtag jd2dc hashtag run don't stay <laughs> hashtag Strauss don't leave me let's get started boys and girls <laughs> Yep. Uh, I mean, I just hope the Nats do something because, yes, flags fly forever. I'm going to be boasting about this championship forever. Um, but I would like to see the Nats do something because it, it won't take much for me to fall into my pessimistic habits again. So <laughs> hopefully the Nats do something here shortly with the winter meetings coming up. Uh, there'll be a lot of news to talk about in uh, the coming weeks, uh, next week in particular, but that does it for us. So for Ryan and myself, uh, you can follow us at DC Natchak, follow Amanda at a white seven, eight, seven, seven, and follow the show at half street, high heat. And, uh, from Ryan, myself and Amanda vicariously, we thank you and we will see you later. Yeah.
There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.